are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. And yes, that is right. Your team every day, your daily deliverance of all Cleveland Browns information. Um, guys, uh, the sound should be much better. We had it, we got it adjusted. Got into something there where the uh, recording app uh, updated, uh, changed a little something in the settings. I do apologize for that. We will go back to normal right now. Uh, for anybody who thought their car speakers were blowing out, or if I got anybody in trouble at work who had a slip in a second earbud, guys, I do apologize for that. And we will stick with the uh, normal procedure as well. Uh, whether it's uh, Alexa, whether it's Siri on your iPhone, um, you always can say the words, guys. Play podcast, Locked On Browns. The fine ladies will be sure to take care of it for you. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, the Locked On NFL Network accounts are always funneled through there. So any information you're looking for, and obviously, guys, with Championship Sunday coming up here, if there's something you're looking for from the other teams or the other hosts of those shows, uh, go ahead, check them out. Uh, you know, Everything goes funneled through those accounts. Anything we put on our personal accounts, go through those accounts as well. So if you're looking for anything you know, to get you ready for Championship Sunday, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, Locked On NFL Network, check it out over there. Uh, we're going to get into a couple things here this evening. Uh, we're going to go with our defensive line review. You know, Pete, me and Pete Smith have been going through this position by position. Uh, we're we're going to, you know, do a, you know, this this week. Uh, you know, obviously next week, you know, senior bowl on that stuff. But we can revisit this as we go on. So we're going to get into that tonight. Uh, we do have some listener questions. There is something, uh, you know, a, a big bit of news that broke yesterday. And obviously, you know, Ben Axelrod was on for one thing and one thing only. That was only here to, you know, cover the, the press conference and, you know, some of the coaching hires. Uh, but Kyler Murray has made his decision. He is declaring for the NFL draft. Um, if you just watch the kid play football, I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, great player. Uh, do you do have some fears? Yeah, I mean, you have some fears of a guy who's maybe a little bit shorter than five foot ten. Maybe on a good day, weighs 180 pounds. Um, but, you know, th- there's some things here that you guys don't understand about Major League Baseball and the process versus NFL and the process. And I know me and Pete hit this. I think we discussed this before Christmas where this started to really pick up some momentum. Actually, you know what, Pete? I think it was after the Heisman. But it really started to pick up some momentum. You know, what is this young man going to do with his life? Um, I thought it was cool that he declared through his own Twitter account, <laughs> I am declaring for the 2019 NFL Draft. So, you know, I mean, I know Adam Schefter was right neck and neck and whatever, but, you know, I thought the, it was cool that the kid had some fun with that. Um, you know, the demand for more money from baseball, I you know, I guess that was a, hey, do you really want me? Or do I explore the bullshit options that I have? Anybody giving Kyler Murray a hard time, shut up, because you've never been in that position, all right? This kid worked his entire life, probably from the time he was four to five years old, to be a ridiculously good athlete in two sports. So he's here now, you know, just extending it even further before he decides what he's going to do with the rest of his life, just like any other 21 or 22-year-old is doing. Look, they put in all their work uh, to get themselves to hopefully get a career that they want. So anybody who's got a problem with what Kyler Murray's doing, yeah, it can all go to hell. But go ahead, Pete. Um, so obviously this, you know, he's declared for the NFL draft, but that does not mean he's in the NFL. It just means he had to do this in order to even be eligible for the NFL uh, he could easily, you know, pull out if he he, he gets uh, what the a what he wants from the A's, or if he doesn't, he can stay in the NFL draft or whatever. Or you know, he could just decide he wants to do one thing or the other. Um, I hold no ill will to the kid. It feels slightly grimy just from the Scott Boris angle. Uh, like I don't blame him at all. Get get what you can, but it does feel you know less than great that the you know the idea that the Oakland A's took you know this chance on him with the ninth pick or whatever it was 
and and potentially they're going to get nothing out of it. Yes, uh, but if they're supposed to be so money ball, why didn't they look around and say, wait a minute, he's going to go be the quarterback at Oklahoma? Right. Where Baker Mayfield just went first overall in the draft, so he's going to go throw for 4,500 yards? I mean, you, you had to realize it was an option. I mean... I think the Asians took a really big gamble, and maybe they're going to end up looking really bad that they could gamble that high. But look, guys, first-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft means jack. But go ahead, Pete. Well, the other part of that is is you give credit to the A's, which could end up looking like saps, and the fact that they said, not only are we going to take you, but go ahead and play this last season out <laughs> at Oklahoma. like that, And that may be what ends up biting them is if they, you know, they really hard-assed him, well, basically, Maybe. what basically what they did is in a relationship and said, "Oh, well, if you're not happy with me, go date around then." And Kyler Murray may have had a steadier chick. I don't know. So, like I said, I I, I want you know I, I'm 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 rooting for the kid. I just, the Scott Boris part of this feels sort of grimy, but that's you know that's just Scott Boris. I'm immediately predisposed to. Oh yeah, I mean I I think most are. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll see what ultimately happens. I don't buy the idea that he's going to go as high as he, as some people do. I still think Dwayne Haskins is is far and away the favorite to be the top quarterback. I am very uh, dubious of uh, Kyler Murray in the NFL, and I only look at it through the following lens. I'm not scared of Kyler Murray playing the Browns twice a year. I'm just not. Um, you know, you've got defensive linemen with over 100 pounds on him. And you know you got a little taste of it when he, they played Alabama, and that he basically got little boyed a couple times, where a guy just grabbed him and said, "Where do you think you're going?" type thing, uh, and they could ragdoll him. Now he's an incredible athlete; he can throw the hell out of the football and all these other things. But you know, physics and all those things, at some point, are going to catch up with him. And the other the other fear you have with a guy like Kyler Murray is, God forbid, he blows up a knee and he becomes a pocket quarterback, or he's you know not the mobile quarterback you know you thought he was going to be goes the robert what, griffin route yeah and now what do you think what do you really have if he's like let's say 510 uh let's say 180 pounds and he's stuck in the pocket and the defense d- defenders know exactly where he's going to be so let's put it this way i am thrilled the browns are not in a position where they have to think about it uh that they have baker mayfield and and, and there's no chance, like, and if you put it through the lens of who would you rather have, you know, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Kyler Murray, I think the easy answer is Baker Mayfield and then Sam Darnold. But we'll see how it goes. For me now, first things first is, you know, uh, the money he has is about, what, $4 million from the Oakland A's. So if he goes, and, you know, I kind of checked the numbers today. So if he goes top 35, his guaranteed money right there beats the Oakland A's money. Now, he's got to go, and now look, he really has one year of college baseball under his belt. I think he hit like 295, 297. That's good for college baseball. You know, in Major League Baseball, you know, you're a, you can be an all-star with those numbers. College baseball, not really so much. Um, so, he goes top 35. Right off the bat, he's going to make the money that he would have made with the Oakland A's. Now, here's the other thing. Now, this is where it gets fun for Kyler Murray endorsements. And, and some people try to come back at me, oh, well, baseball endorsements. Nobody is endorsing a single A outfielder for any legitimate money. Um, he is drafted, you know, he's drafted, you know, 35 or whatever, uh, ends up as a Dallas Cowboy. Uh, Oakland Raiders with three first round picks. There's, 
you can endorse him in the NFL and before he even plays. Um, you know, obviously, David Mulligetta is a big, big-time agent in the NFL. He is the guy. Jalen Ramsey's one. Other guys, he is the Jordan guy. Usually, his clients get uh, you know go to the Jordan brand. That is a big, big amount of money. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. He is also a two-sport athlete. And I'm not saying you're going to get the whole Bo Nose thing like he did with Bo Jackson, but he, th- there is a market there to endorse the living daylights out of him which could get his money closer to 15 to $20 million, Pete. Well, I, I think if, in terms of endorsements, I agree. But I think what it really comes down to is if he stays in the NFL route, I think he has endorsements and ads for him by the time the draft gets here. I think in baseball, it becomes more of a wait and see. And if you get that Tebow type effect, and that's not in terms of you know everything he represents, but in terms of exciting enough that a few games of his at least a year are going to find their way to TV or and and people are flocking to see this kid play baseball. And I'm sure he's fun as hell. I, I don't even care about his numbers. I think just seeing him fly around the outfield or running around the bases would be fun. But uh, if it, I think it becomes more of a wait and see. If he's really, really successful and people are really drawn to him, I think he will get endorsement money. I just don't think it will – at least for now, it won't touch. Like I, I, I'm saying, there will be like NFL Network or ESPN when it really gets to draft time in the actual NFL draft. Uh, he will be. I, I fully expect he will be one of the guys that every segment they introduce, every hour or whatever it is. My draft, be, my draft yes, diary. Those. Type he'll of be things. one of those, and some sort of ad campaign will be out for whatever it is, whether it's Under Armour, whether it's Nike, whether he will be in one of those ads. And theoretically, he could make more money before he even gets drafted at that point than he would in in that first baseball contract. Now that you get into the whole minutia, maybe it's incentive based, maybe it's whatever. But I do think there's a big enough, you know, impact that he's going to be able to get that money immediately. And certainly with Scott Boris and those people, he's got people that are. Uh, able to find that, and and if he makes himself available, uh, there, there are going to be more than a few opportunities. I mean, you, you look at Saquon Barkley, and certainly it, it wasn't immediate, but he's got that you know Visa commercial or whatever it is. That's yep. a big ad, that's a big ad buy for a rookie quarterback, and and certainly he's got help with Eli Manning and some of those other guys. But that's that's a big deal. That I, I I don't know how much he's getting paid for that, but I I expect it's. Uh, likely about somewhere in the neighborhood of what he's getting from his first year of his rookie contract. Oh, yeah, it's certainly not peanuts. And the other thing is he's got the Heisman Trophy in his back pocket. So, look, I mean, these Heisman Trophy winners, look, I mean, he's, whenever his professional career ends, all he's got to say is I want to pick up a microphone, and he's and he's broadcasting. Um, obviously, you know, part of the, uh, you know, they always do the Heisman House commercials. Yes, he will be in that, and that will get him some reps for commercials and stuff. Yep, and then there's also, you know, so obviously Nissan, a huge sponsor of the Heisman. I mean, so there's a lot of avenues this guy can go, and he should explore them. And if it's going to be two years of riding buses through Podunk, Iowa, and down to El Paso, and circling around all over again, once again, maybe go and, and play the NFL and, and just go that route. Because, I mean, everybody just thinks within, like, you know, and I think a lot of people think within like a year, he's the center fielder for the Oakland A's. It doesn't work that way. 
So, you know, I, I think he made the right move. And look, I mean, I, I hope, I, I want to see the kid go the NFL rap. Do I think it's a tough spot for him? Do I think he needs 20 pounds right off the bat? Look, I mean, we know how much, guys, all you Browns fans know how much heat Baker took for being just six feet tall. So imagine what this young man's going to do when he's going to go almost two inches less than what Baker Mayfield. <coughs> I'll, t- I'll give you an early prediction. If he stays in the draft, he ain't throwing at the combine. Uh, why? Because he's going to stand next to a bunch of guys who are 6'4 and 6'5. Yes, but if he throws, so throws the, does the velocity test, it'll come out a week later and he outthrows everybody. I mean, it's, you know. They, they, I, I, if I was his agent, I would not let him go anywhere near an event where he's just got to stand around and look that much smaller than everybody else. That does not help him. Yeah, the but, pro day and all that yeah, stuff. But, you want to know what the, but, but that's going to be established the second he walks in the door. If he goes to the combine, they're going to measure him. So there's going to be no even at, even at the Heisman man, it was huge how small he looked. Yeah, I mean, you know, some heels would have been nice, something of that nature. Uh, guys, the um, locked on Browns here. Like I said, we got into the whole Kyler Murray thing. Um, guys, Mark, Mark Schofield, uh, good friend of everybody's in the football community, hosted Locked On Patriots. Obviously, AFC Championship coming up this weekend. So uh, if if you're in, you know, I mean, you know, as much as I dislike the Patriots, I do like Mark Schofield. And he does a fantastic job. So if you're looking to get deeper into the AFC Championship game, Locked On Patriots, Mark Schofield's your guy over there. Um, Pete, like I said, we are going to do a little D line review here today, and I mean, we'll start with the interior because it'll be a lot shorter discussion. Um, look, I mean, there's there, there's not a lot here. You have a great, young, emerging talent. And Larry Ogunjobi finished the season with a blown-out bicep. So it shows you have a guy who works his butt off, studies, will play injured for his team, and, and just meets almost every criteria you want in a guy. Larry Ogunjobi, I mean, next year, next year is just... I, 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 he's probably the guy I may be most excited for next season because I think... He was really putting it together. You know, obviously the pass rush was developing earlier in the year. He is going to explode on the season in year three. Yeah, he's he's a stud, and he played hurt as a rookie. He had an issue, I believe, with his, uh, I think it was a glute or something in that area that held him out a little while, but he played through it a little bit. Uh, the bicep this year, uh, I think one of the big focuses for the draft and st- offseason has to be getting depth because – if you looked at Larry Okunjobi early in the year, he was a sack machine. And then they got into those overtime games, and obviously those aren't his fault, but they just wore those guys down so much that as the year went on, him and Garrett and some of those other guys, just their production slowed down. And some of that's, you know, guys adapting to what they're doing. But, you know, he had something like like five sacks or something in the first six weeks or something crazy like that. And, and you hope that they get – more help for him that he stays fresher and obviously hopefully he stays healthy that he's not playing with a blown out bicep and 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 thankfully one of the best pieces of news for the offseason was no surgery that they believe it's going to recover uh without it uh, that he can just rest and rehab and do those things as opposed to you know that that's not a small operation for even though it's a bicep which is not entirely you know a super important muscle in terms of football but it's just everything around it and the recovery and all that stuff so that was a huge piece of news uh for him but he is a stud and and now we'll see what what uh what if anything changes with with wilkes but you know okanjobi is a guy who works his ass off he spent each of the off season uh with geno atkins and working with him and and his guy in terms of being a better pass rusher 
So, you know, this could be the year the the year where, you know, he goes from, you know, a guy people know to now he's now he's talked about as a Pro Bowl guy. Now he's a guy that's really powering that defensive line into the playoffs. And and God willing, there won't be a situation where like he gets his goes out to do the concussion protocol check and the entire defensive line just caves without him out there. Yeah, and now look, and as much as Larry, uh, Larry Ogunjobi is, you know, I mean, you have a basically a Rolls Royce here. After that, I mean, you're talking about a bunch of 10 to 12-year-old beat-up jalopies. Look, uh, Travion Cooley, uh, you know, I, I, for, for the effort he gives, nice rotational guy. But the fact that he was probably your second-best defensive tackle scares the living bejesus out of you. And for all my guys who like to give Pete a hard time, we sat down after the draft after the undrafted free agents signed. And first thing I said to Pete, I said, Pete, what's the problem? And the exact quote from Pete is, defensive tackle. It's barren. And we went on for weeks screaming for a guy like Jonathan Hankins or some type of move, and it never came to pass. Um, but obviously, you know, you know, whether it was a Price or a Zettel and, you know, Hiram Boyd's good friend Chad Thomas, nothing, and I mean nothing, came from the interior, except for some snaps that maybe Emmanuel Agba took there. Look, I have no problem maybe using Agba more on inside than outside. And I know Brandon Leister, you know, he's, he's brought up the snap counts. That it was almost close to a 50-50 split. My only thing with doing that with Emmanuel Agba is, here's a guy that does tend to get dinged up a lot. So I do have some concerns about the majority of his playing time being inside versus outside. But Pete, you know, in the interior, there's, I mean, we're not even joking. I mean, it was barren at the end of April last year. It's still barren now after Larry, Larry Ogunjobi. Yeah, I mean, they have some options, and certainly they did a few things, but it ended up being moving guys. Uh, so Miles Garrett saw some time with three technique. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba can play inside, and, and, and maybe we'll see, you know, what happens with him if, if, they address edge in a big way and they decide, all right, we're going to move you in full time, uh, get you a little more weight and all that stuff. Or, or if, if they address defensive tackle, we'll keep them out there. Um, you know, with the addition of Steve Wilkes, we'll, we'll see if that has an impact on any of those guys. But look, that is a major area of focus. Uh, and whether you want to talk about free agency, I'm more interested in the draft and, and you know, the Shrine game going on right now. There's a couple guys down there that I really like, like uh, uh, Daniel Weiss from Kansas is apparently tearing it up and had a great season for Kansas. And, and I, I like Cortez Broughton from Cincinnati. Uh, those are a couple guys who, who are, you know, could could be good. And, and you know, the, the Shrine game is uh, the game that featured P.J. Hall last year who went in the second round. So, you know, don't poo-poo it. Now, unfortunately, that's also the venue they got Chad Thomas from, and he can't play dead, so hopefully that doesn't scare anybody off. Yeah, and so, you know, look, and maybe a Brian Price from UCLA, he'll, he'll stick around for a second year. Carl Davis, we kind of had some high hopes for. Obviously, it did not work out. Uh, Zettel is a guy I'd like to see stick around. He was a guy that could provide some rotational depth at, at two spots, and there were games where he looked really good. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I guess it was the Atlanta game where he had a big game, ended up, you know, with a sack later, you know, late in the game. But, uh, you know, a, a guy who doesn't bring a lot to the table as far as athleticism, but a high motor, and if you play him 15 to 20 reps, you're going to get the best out of him. You ask any more, it's not going to work out. But he was a guy who could stick around in the rotation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, at the very least, you know, I wish he would have gotten more play this year. He only had 158 snaps in the year. Uh, but at the very least, whatever you do and add a bunch of, hopefully a bunch of defensive linemen, he's in there to compete. And if somebody beats him out, so be it. But... 
this is the time to go from having a pretty good defensive line to figuring out a way to have a Super Bowl caliber defensive line. And, and teams like the Eagles are showing you the value in that. Uh, or J- Jacksonville, what they tra- what got them through the 17 season. Right. So, And the Rams currently have a bunch of guys that they keep rotating. So the more pass rushes you can get, the more you can affect the quarterback, the better off you're going to be. So hopefully they – you know, take that, and I fully expect they will. Uh, they're going to keep it addressing guys and hopefully adding and really transforming that unit. It's, it, I mean, it's just the avenue you've got to go to. There's no way, and especially this is good where you're going to have a new defensive coordinator coming in here, and you got to think Wilkes coming in here, obviously just having been a head coach, they're going to give him a chance to at least, you know, preach his case. And he's going to say, sure, I think Larry Ogunjobi's fantastic. But And, you know, he's going to say what Pete and I just said. Uh, look at Jacksonville. Look at the Rams. Look at what these other teams are doing. You really want a seven- to eight-man rotational front on your defensive line because you want the best of every guy in every snap. So, you know, that's the avenue you're going to look forward to to go with that. Guys, as I said, Mark Schofield does a fantastic job at Locked On Patriots. Uh, Ryan and Chris over at Locked On Chiefs, these guys are doing a killer job. I uh, got to sit down then with this year uh, once because uh, we did the crossover. Obviously, you know, the uh, yeah, Browns played the Chiefs. Obviously, it was the first game of Freddie Kitchens. These guys do an outstanding job. They know this team inside now. So if you're looking for any Chiefs, Chiefs information before Championship Sunday, uh, Ryan, Chris, Lockdown Chiefs podcast, these guys do a phenomenal job. Trust me. Now, Pete, this is where it gets a little more interesting, obviously, you know, the defensive end position. Um, look, Miles Garrett, 12 and a half sacks his second year in the, uh, you know, now second year in the league. Uh, starting to put a little more together uh, in the 12 and a half sacks is impressive enough, obviously. But there's just been, there were some times where you just saw utter, complete dominance. Um, First things first, his get off off the ball is ridiculous. And as many many offsides as he gets called for, I'd say you could probably take two or three of those away. He's just that quick off the ball. But you go back to that first game at Cincinnati, 12 total pressures. Um, But he was just another guy. Look, get a little bit more health with this position because he's taken too many snaps. But Miles Garrett, just, I mean, everything you would expect from a return and investment of a number one overall pick. Right. He's one of the best in the league. Uh, and, and he got rewarded for it with his first Pro Bowl and, and, and a second team All-Pro, which is nice. Um, he, he takes away at least a third of the field on the run. Uh, you know, most of the damage is done by running right or up the middle. Teams avoid him like grim death, and, and the teams that, you know, eventually do uh, test him generally find out just how good he is. Um, the offside certainly would like to clean up. Uh, I do think some of those are just bad, uh, but, you know, he's going to keep messing with that. The, the other issue is how often he is held. And the likelihood is that's not going to change. So what is well? He, uh, let's he hope he at least, next... let's hope year three with the establishment he's going to get the calls he deserves because that's I mean it, it's absolute it's it's horseshit. Well, granted, but I think the reality is that that's always going to be there. So the answer is you're not going to be able to just sit there and cry about penalties or us doing it for him. It's how do you avoid getting held? you don't get held in the first place because your hands are so good that you keep guys out of your body and unable to grab onto you. And I think that's going to be the big focus for Garrett in this offseason is just trying to make sure that those guys just never get the ability to grab onto him, keep keep those guys out of his body at bay, and basically just beat them before. And, and with his quickness and speed, when he's able to keep those guys out of him, he's going to get he's going to br- blow up the play one way or the other, run past whatever – He's that good, 
So if he just increases the amount of times where he beats guys clean or keeps keeps them out of his body, unable to grab on, he's going to increase his production. However many sacks, however many tackles for loss, whatever, just impact is going to keep getting better. And I do believe that he's going to be a guy that, that gets 20 sacks at some point in his career. He's on a historic track. He's had one of the most productive players ever uh, to play the edge. And, and he's not coming off an injury of any kind. He's 100%. Uh, and now it's just going to be about what does he need to do. Last year, I mean, he's still going to be doing this in part, but last year he actually trimmed his body a little bit, got more muscle, and cut a little bit of fat. But I, th- he's going to be doing that at some point. But I really do think it's just going to be about making sure that he keeps guys off of him. Yeah, of course. I mean, more work to do. And look, I mean, there's places to go. And do you want to do a little jujitsu? Do you want to learn a little boxing? And this is, st- I mean, all stuff. I mean, if you were a great player. Find you know find one thing to work on in the off season. Miles Garrett, whether it be a spin move, whether it be you know go do some jujitsu or go do some boxing, where like Pete said, you're gonna get those freaking hands off your jersey and you're gonna be able to get home a little more consistently, as opposed to saying, hey, look, I deserve these calls now. Because look, there's I mean you know hopefully the calls are gonna come because the Browns got screwed on a lot of them, and I think teams just say, ah, well you're the Browns, whatever. If I miss the call, who cares about it? You know the apology letters, you know enough of that already. Just just call the game the right way. Um, and for all those, oh, well, there's too many flags as it is. So guys, once you're over 10 penalties a game, does it really even freaking matter at that point? Just, you know, get the calls right. and Or, you know, Miles Garrett, like you said, do a little bit more to alleviate yourself from the issue that, that is going on. Um, obviously not Pete. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba, Jannard Avery, uh, Avery uh, Zettel, another one. Um, some, it's nice pieces there, but as much as I need a couple of pieces on the interior, I do want. I want another guy. I want a bookend for for this for these guys. And it, you know, and when we go to nickel and dime, it can be the. I'll take the four best. I'm sorry, Chris Smith. I should mention here as well. Just you know, I want to be able to and, and, and go NASCAR on nickel and dime, which seems to be the wave here and what these good teams are doing. So when it is late in the game, you're just going to completely crush them and get the ball back and force the ball down the throats with Nick Chubb and close out a lot of Ws. Not only that, but, I mean, look, you had it happen this year. You know, I really wish Emmanuel Ogba could get through a season without a debilitating injury. Was probably, According to, like, Lane Adkins, he was, you know, healthy, but he was really playing at about 75%, 80% with the ankle. Uh, I'd like to see him get healthy, but you have a guy miss time with injury. What do you do? It can't just be, well, we don't have anything. You, so in addition to just being able to rotate, if somebody goes down for some period of time, God forbid the entire year, it can't just be, well, well I guess we're done for this year. So they, that's the other reason to keep adding, keep adding, keep adding. I mean, you don't want to – it's never going to be a good situation if Miles Garrett or somebody goes down for the year. But if you have a utility player go down like Ogbid did, you have somebody like a, a Chris Smith go down, it, you have to have more and just keep bringing the heat and keep bringing in guys you can get after quarterback. Because if you're like me, you believe that the Browns are going to be playing with more leads this year. And everybody can complain about run defense, but the, one of the best ways to play run defense is be up by 14. Uh, and force teams to pass the ball. And when you do that, now the guys' ears are pinned back, and now they're going to going after the quarterback. The, the the other team can't sit there, sit and mess with tendency. They know the pass is coming, and it's much harder to pass protect at that point. 
now you're in a position to close games and and pass rushing is exhausting. You need more guys to keep being able to bring the heat. So there's just nothing but good that comes out from getting more pressure and getting more guys that can help you. And hopefully that creates more opportunity for turnovers, which was a key, especially early in the year in keeping them close to lose. But the games they won, they tended to take the ball away. And, and hopefully if they get more depth, they can keep up that pressure and keep the turnovers coming. You're not going to get too many situations where you end up like five and six in a game. But if you watched over the course of the season, the, the turnovers fell off and fell off and fell off and fell off. Uh, now you, you get more guys, you get more opportunities, and hopefully you keep up that pressure to where your defense becomes a weapon that can score points and end games. Exactly. Now, and Chris Smith, you know, and look, Chris Smith, obviously here for a second year, he's, he's making peanuts. Um, Jannard Avery is going to be the interesting thing here with Steve Wilkes coming in. And, you know, I guys, I screamed all last season for an Elmas Dumervale type. Uh, and what we saw of Jannard Avery, look, I, I think if you, you know, if it's a, as a linebacker, I do like him. I think he brings something in the run game. His coverage, you know, we still have our doubts. But if it's nickel and dime or straight pass rusher, and this started early in camp, this was in the preseason, and I mean, he can give up the 50 pounds to a right tackle. He is everything you'd want in a second, third, fourth pass rusher. Tremendous get off. He's got country boy strength. I mean, literally can move right tackles. He's turned out to be a really, really nice find in the fifth round. Somebody may have had him 37th on their board. But Jannard Avery, a special, special talent here. And if you're going to use him strictly, and if it's 25 to 35 to 40 reps a game, he, he, he I think, he, in my opinion, he's shown double-digit sack pot- potential of, of the little bit we got to see him rush the passer in year one. Right. Uh, you know, he's a rookie, and he had a bunch of impact plays. I mean, what else can you ask for from a guy who's coming in in that situation? Uh, and that you were cross-training him at multiple positions. So year two, whether it's, you know, potentially is a little bit of sandbacker uh, on rundowns and then going to a, a pure uh, edge guy, or if they just say, screw it, he's going to be a full-time pass rusher, um, there are going to be plenty of opportunities to move him around and let him make plays, and that's certainly something that's going to help them. And, and it almost became sort of a, you know, a weekly occurrence where you had – Miles Garrett collapsing the pocket from one side, uh, Jannard Avery collapsing it from the other, and somebody was going to get the sack. It's just a question of who. Um, there, was, there were a lot of games where it was, all right, who actually got the sack there? And at least, oh, yeah, initially no, it got sure. caught up, it was this guy, and then, I mean, they're never going to cut him into thirds, but then it was you'd look back you know, an hour later and you know, it was a half here, half there, that type of thing. But yeah, definitely, you know, party in the backfield went on a lot. Right, and he, he does bring a little bit of a different thing because he's short, which is a pain in the ass for offensive tackles. They hate dealing with guys who are short. Uh, he's got great leverage. He can, can he's got he's obviously a power lifter, and then he's he's got a little bit of bend and the ability to get around guys. That's you know that's where this thing can get special. And and you know if they get another guy like him, they end up in nickel and dime situations where they can potentially slide a guy like Miles Garrett inside, have Avery and another speed guy coming <laughs> off the edge, and you basically just let them wreak havoc. Um, that's where this gets fun, and 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 you know I, I, we'll see what Wilkes likes to do, but I'm hoping we see a little bit more. This is the one thing I'm envious of the Houston Texans with is that they do gen- genuinely find ways to 
put J.J. Watt and Jadevian Clowney and those guys on the weakest spot or, or just in a particular situation. And I think the Browns did this a little bit more towards the end of the year, but year, year two for him and year three for Garrett, it becomes easier to sort of put him in a spot that's a favorable matchup for him and just say, go get him. 100%. And you know, this is what you're looking forward to. And you add here, um, guys, we're going to get to some listener questions. A lot of these guys, um, guys, a lot of the questions you get, you guys brought was free agency. And look, it, <clears throat> it's just a little early right now. I mean, so much to go on. This is probably something more in about five to six weeks. You can start to read the lines here and, and see who's actually going to be available. Grady Jarrett, sure, 100%. He's available. Yeah, let's go down to Atlanta or find wherever he lives down in the south and find a way to get him to come up here and see some snow. No doubt about it. This is one of the better ones I got, and it was actually a two-parter. Um, obviously, you know, uh, Ford out in Kansas City, you know, John Dorsey, uh, you know, there obviously knows him very well. If somehow, some way, Kansas City, and it seems a little odd because he's, you know, yeah, they're, but, but they may have to make a decision. I mean, I, I'm not totally confident on their finances, but does it come down to a Justin Houston or does it come down to a D Ford? And if it is the case, which one do you like? Well, look, I, I am, I, I'm sure John Dorsey will like D Ford or at least has the most info on him since he drafted him. Uh, and he may be predisposed to really like him. He scares the crap out of me because he's had one great season this year. He had one pretty good season, which was two years ago. And the other three were sort of, eh. um, He'll be 28, uh, has has had some issues with injuries. On the plus side, I do like the fact that he's a very good pass rusher in the sense that the same way I think the Browns are going to be playing in front of teams a lot more this coming year, he was in a situation where the Chiefs were playing in front quite a bit. And that sort of empowered him to be a pure pass rusher. And he, and he, and he, he excelled in that. What scares me is that you're basically going to take one great season and, and he's going to get, if he gets out of Kansas city, something in the neighborhood of probably a hundred million dollars in total contract and however much guaranteed money, are you willing to sort of risk that on a guy like him? And to me, I, I'm, I'm inclined to let somebody outbid me, whether it's Indianapolis or whoever, and, and try to draft that type of player and, and bet on the smarter financial decision, keep that flexibility open and, and keep those young players coming as opposed to trying to capitalize on, on what may be a shorter prime than you'd like uh, in, in D Ford. Yeah, and the, and that's the thing This we're going to get to with when you have four picks in the first three rounds. There's going to be a lot of depth there. Uh, you know, look, defensive tackle position. Look, Todd McShay put out his top 10 today. Pete, don't blow your Don't lose it here, Pete. But his, you know, his top 10 in the entire 2019 NFL draft, all defensive players. So, I mean, you're starting to get a feel of this, guys. And this is as legit as me and Peter telling you. I mean, defensive tackle, defensive end. It's a ridiculous, ridiculous crop of guys here. Um, this one here, and we'll combine another question with it. I'm um, getting some thoughts, obviously. Hollywood Brown. But this this one was put into a, a good way to answer. Would you rather have Hollywood Brown in the second round or go ahead and take uh, Andy Isabella in the third round? I'm taking Isabella in the third round, and I'm not sure if we get to a, that. We're not going to get to the point where uh, I'm just taking Andy Isabella, period. And that may be over everybody. Uh, he, in terms of, we'll see what he does athletic testing wise. I'm not worried that he's going to run slow or anything. He, it, it, he has, whether you want to say it's like Tyreek Hill uh, or close to it, 
It literally looks like when Andy Isabella, and this is against Mississippi State and Georgia, like everybody else is on a conveyor belt, and he's just running through them. And it's unbelievable. And he has that same effect that Tyreek Hill does, um, which that's that's exactly what it looks like with Tyreek on Sundays against NFL guys. Um, in terms of production, they're both fantastic. But I like Isabella's ability to be – great everywhere i think marquise brown may be more of a djx djx type guy which is not bad at all um that's certainly a great player to have but i think he's going to be a little bit more over the top to operate in the nfl where i think isabella is a little more can do a little bit more of everything i've compared him to ty hilton we'll see if that holds up but to me i'd rather have ty hilton than i would uh djx um for me yeah this is an easy one too um if i can get isabella in the third round yeah, I'm going to go that route. And whether or not he's going to be in the third round after he goes to the combine and tears it up. And here's the one thing, and I'm not knocking Hollywood Brown because I re- I really like Marquise Brown's game. But when you've played with two Heisman Trophy winners, um, I'll just ask anybody this. If you know the name of the quarterback that Andy Isabella is playing with, God bless you. Because for what he's done at UMass, I guarantee you we could poll 100 people and maybe be two would know the quarterback's name. You ask who you know, Mark, uh, you know, Hollywood Brown played with, everybody's going to know who the quarterbacks were he played with. So now you're just saying, look, we're going to put you in the NFL, and we are going to put you with a pinpoint passer who looks for the guy who runs the Christmas routes and gets open with the most consistency and shows the most consistent ability to catch the ball when it's on his numbers. It's, it'd be really hard to turn down. In- right, and, and, and we're going to see... You know, unless something weird happens, he's supposed to be at the Senior Bowl, and he's going to be playing with guy, you know, quarterbacks he's never, never met. Uh, and if he's still, and every absolute, one of them is better than whoever he played with at UMass. And if he's still roasting guys, which I expect he will, uh, I, I expect he's going to look dominant in that forum. Uh, then, then that's going to certainly help his case because Marquise Brown won't be there. He's a uh, junior declaree. Uh, I don't know if he graduated or not, but in any case, he's not going. We know he's not uh, there, so yeah. Uh, this this becomes a, a big opportunity for sort of Isabella to get his his buzz going. Certainly, there are a lot of people like us that like him, but I, I think there are people who are still unsure because he is from UMass, and and you know UMass has produced some players. Obviously, a couple of years ago, he was playing alongside and uh, still produced when they had Brenneman, who unfortunately had to retire uh, when he was going to come out from UMass as a tight end. I think yep. he had a chronic foot issue. That forced him out of the out of the draft that year, but he he's a good good player, and he and he produced against SEC competition as well as 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 the guys he's played against. So he'll be he'll be a guy that, that that's worth keeping an eye on as this process goes along. There's no doubt, and um, in I'm actually looking forward to him next week. I think people don't understand, you know, the kind of freak that he is, and he's going to tear up Indy. Um, you can just see that the way the kid does everything. You know, it almost seems like the precision of everything he does. Every I is dotted, every T is crossed. Andy Isabella is going to—he's going to be one of these guys who's going to elevate himself tremendously yeah. next week and in Indy. And that's part of the reason I compared him to T.Y. Hilton. Is is a, a guy who did that as well. And T.Y. Hilton was a UCF guy at that time, or I'm sorry, Florida International guy. Yes. At that no time, national it, championships. Right, they're you know Florida International. God bless the Golden Panthers. They're not a you know a perennial power. They do produce a few players every now and again, 
But it's the same type of deal with Isabella. You're going to see, you know, a guy coming out of a smaller program. They're about, you know, I'd say they're probably about similar level at at that time. FIU versus UMass now, uh, but both have game breaking speed and both make play, plays at all levels and almost identical in terms of size. We'll see what Isabella actually measures and weighs. But you know, that is Ty Hilton is is basically like five nine, 183 pounds or something like that. And he's just a fantastic football player and, and watching the Colts in the playoffs. And, you know, I certainly thought on more than one occasion, man, I'd love to have one of those for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and the other thing is T.Y. Hilton, as tiny as he is, I mean, there's teams in the NFL that he scares the living bejesus out of. So, you know, you know, at the receiver position, the size really isn't a knock anymore. It's not because the way everyone's going and it's scheme to get your guy open, it's not something you're concerned about. Uh, last question here. Uh, actually, our good buddy Jim Coburn and Dominic and Sue. That's an interesting name. It is an interesting name. Obviously, we know he was on a one-year deal with the Rams. Uh, you know, I know I like a little attitude, Pete. I know you feel the same way. Um, obviously, getting older, you know, Sheldon Richardson would be another name. But Ndamukong and Sue, yeah, I, I think I'd be okay with it if the numbers were right. Well, here, here's the here's the key for getting the numbers right with Ndamukong and Sue. You bid more than anyone else, you get him. He's he's a straight. <laughs> he is the Darrell Revis of defensive tackles. Shut up, pay me. Yeah, he's nothing short of a hired gun, and you know, there are certainly the issues with him in terms of being over aggressive and that stuff, and and some questions with how he deals with teammates and whatever. But the Browns are now entering a, a era where they can take mercenary type players. And if they can get a guy like that in, it's worth the discussion. Uh, you know, it may not fit with, you know, what Freddie, Freddie Kitchens was talking about in his press conference and stuff like that. But where I doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, you talk, you, you listen to him and it's way more about people than it is about X's and O's and all that stuff. And, you know that, and, and what he may mean by that may be different than what I'm interpreting it. But that does seem like they want to avoid certain issues. But you put in Dominic and Sue on a defensive line like the Browns have, and you know stuff's going to happen. I mean, he he becomes another impact player that you now can rotate he and Ogunjobi or put him next to each other or whatever. And you can just create mismatches. And, and the thing with uh, and Sue is he's been playing nose so much that he might love the idea of getting to play three for a while uh, next to a guy like Ogunjobi and just wrecking people up the middle. Uh, now, the other thing with, with Sue, uh, for people who are really passionate about upgrading the Browns run defense, uh, recent years, especially this year, not as interested in stopping the run. Uh, he's, he wants to go kill the quarterback. And, and you know, for a lot of people, that may not, may not have a problem with that. But, you know, the Rams, as you watch, have gotten gouged. And, and he may – they may play the run a lot better in the playoffs simply because they have to. Uh, but that'll be – in fact, that, that would probably be something to keep an eye on uh, as the Rams are about to play, take on the Saints. And and the Saints have a couple of nice running backs. This is to see how much, how much, how effective these guys are against against the run in that situation. But it's at least a worthwhile worthwhile conversation if 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 for whatever reason he's he's willing to listen to a team like the Browns. Yeah, I mean he's definitely a guy to you know look into. Obviously Sheldon Richardson with what um, you know Freddie said you know yesterday. And you know, the other thing is guys is we're going to learn a lot about Freddie here. 
And this is, you know, and Ben Axelrod, guys, if you listened to the episode last night, this is one of the things Ben kind of stressed is it's hard really to, it's an introductory practice conference. Everything's supposed to look great. It's a, you know, a tape cutting ceremony, this, that, and the other thing. But we'll learn more as we go to work and we see more with Freddie and it'll it'll be with OTAs and it'll be how, and look, you know, Freddie's going to put a lot of the onus on himself, but there's going to be times where he's going to put pressure on a player and you're going to ha- kind of have to listen to his words and when he says them and read them and you know, uh, apply them. And, and look, I mean, what we're going to know is that he's not going to railroad anybody, but there are going to be times where he tries to send a message which is going to, I mean, look, and that's fine. Don't do it the way his predecessor did it. Do it, you know, and I think Freddie, obviously, you know, he definitely threw some shade yesterday. There's no doubt about it. And he kind of made it said that, look, I will put my neck on the line. But there's going to be times where certain people are in Freddie Kitchen's doghouse, and we're going to learn about it. Yeah, he's, uh, he said point blank he's not a very good liar. Um, we'll, we'll see We'll see how that goes. I mean, I, I certainly... I'm rooting for Freddie Kitchens. I like I like you know how he got the job and and all that. But you know the bottom line is you know he was hired to win a Super Bowl. Um, it's not just a nice story. It's they, not hyperbole. It's not hyperbole anymore. It's freaking legit. I mean, you got te- you know you've got people now saying you should win the AFC North. You should be competing for a first round bye. You should win your first playoff game. This isn't. I mean, this is. It, it's not speak. It's not a. It, it's not a pump it up video. This is legit. This is where they're at now. And and Freddie, to his credit, was saying all the right things in terms of that, like saying he was, you know, he was seven eight one is not acceptable. Yep. Yeah, that he's not, that finishing below five hundred is unacceptable. All that stuff. It certainly sounds like he understands, and I don't think he would have taken the job if he if he didn't. Um, that he knows what's what's coming, and and that's you know every everybody being hired to the staff, including guys from the CFL. I've never heard of. Um, that they sort of understand where this thing's got to go, and and that's good. And I like the fact that he's sending that message out because now that's going to trickle down to the players, and they're going to have to step their game up. And 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 I, I you know, I I've been saying, I, I continue to say that I think the players, as much as they want to rest and all that stuff, I think more than a few of them are are probably already, you know, thinking about how fast they can get back in here and start to work because they they feel that energy. And some of these guys who haven't experienced winning. Uh, want to get out there and do stuff and 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 see where this could go and see how this could be special, and they don't want to they don't want to ruin it. I think I think they've got the right sort of uh, temperament in terms of what they want to accomplish. Yeah, and one thing, guys, I, I did send out a couple text messages today about Chris Jones. Obviously, this is the guy that's coming from the uh, Ottawa Rough Riders, you know, down to the Cleveland Browns. Um, apparently, he is very tight and very close friends with Freddie Kitchens. And what I gathered was in just, you know, and what he said was, you know, reading the tea leaves, if things go well, obviously Freddie's going to lose guys from his staff. So bring in somebody you know and you trust. So when you maybe are going to start to lose some of these guys, you got somebody that you can maybe elevate, elevate into another position. Chris Jones comes here with a strong defensive background. So, you know, th- that's the little we have on Chris Jones. It'll be interesting to get to know him as well. And, you know, as Pete said in a tweet today, uh, look, it's really hard to evaluate a guy coming from the CFL to the NFL. But look, uh, look, if if it's a guy Freddie knows and trusts, and it's not like he's coming in here and he's being given the keys to this defense, um, let it all play out. Uh, the key players are in proponents are in place. Right, and and I and I don't 
know anything about Chris Jones, whether he was from, you know, the Ottawa Rough Riders, if he was from, you know, the Denver Broncos, it's my, my big question. I have no idea. Like every time you see the CFL, NFL transfer, you know, whether it was Stressman or Bob Wiley or whatever, I never know how to, how to think of that. Like what is a head coaching job and GM? He was both. Yeah. In the CFL compared to... Well, know, I don't know what the GM actually does because they just had the CFL draft and I think two or three kickers went in the first round. So <laughs> yes. I don't really know what's going on there anyway. So, like, getting this idea of, of, of what's the better job, you know, what's the better gig, is it certain that CFL teams are better? Like, Toronto and, and, and those teams uh, would be great jobs, but Ottawa's not a great job or whatever. But it's just funny to see, uh, you know, a head coach at a level, whether it's the CFL or whatever, decide, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and be an assistant in the NFL. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously he knows him from being a GA when he was at Alabama, uh, that, you know, it could be good. Uh, again, I have no ideas. I don't with a lot of these uh, assistant coaches. I, I just thought it was funny because, you know, you're just like CFL head coach resigns, going to join the Browns as a, as a, they're calling him a special assistant for defense. You're just like, huh? Okay. Let's see it. Yeah, and you know, that's pretty much, I mean, guys, and the same information you're getting on that is pretty much the same information we're operating on because, uh, you know, there's not a huge backstory or resume with Chris Jones. Uh, guys, this has been Locked on Browns. Uh, some, uh, you know, other thing, uh, fun things coming this week. Obviously, me and P will sit down. We'll break down the uh, championship games on Sunday. Uh, uh, Ryan Seabus, uh, you know, Ryan has gotten back to writing here. He's been a longtime guy here, you know, in the Browns community. He's going to pop in this week. Um, fingers crossed. We do have the scheduled uh, another Browns player popping through this week. As long as everything goes okay from that avenue, we're gonna, you know, as long as everything's good on his end, we're gonna get that show in this week as well. Uh, I sat down with Peter Bukowski. He hosts the Locked On Packers podcast. Um, we kind of did a crossover. Obviously, there's a lot here between the Packers and the Browns right now. So we touched on a bunch of that. Uh, you know, he tried to make his case for Mike McCarthy. I tried to tell him why he didn't want Mike McCarthy. I'll release that tomorrow for you guys. Um, there will be no recording Wednesday night, but you guys are still going to get your shows. I got to go to middle. I got to go to middle school parent teacher conferences tomorrow night, which kind of stinks because my daughter's an A plus student. So why she's making me go to these conferences, I have no idea. Whatever. I already know you're an A plus student, but that's just another story for another day. Um, guys, iTunes rating reviews. Uh, always appreciated. Please keep them coming. Um, like I said, guys, ask the fine ladies whether it's Alexa, whether it's Surrey. Go ahead, fire up podcast. Play Locked On Browns for me, guys. Um, uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter, the Lockdown NFL Network accounts funnel everything through there from all the hosts, all the shows here. There are over 37 NFL shows here on the Lockdown Network. All the information is funneled through those accounts as well. Pete Smith, uh, go ahead, follow him. Does a fantastic job. You're going to get a ton of work, a ton of work here, draft wise. Pete's going to be into full draft mode here. Uh, all the work over at NFL Spin Zone. Uh, and guys, it's funny because uh, you know, with the with the sound issues today, I got a, I got a bunch of DMs on the Lockdown Browns account. You know, I told everybody the issue and how we were corrected them, and a bunch of requests for some show ideas for me and Pete Smith. So, the guy you love to hate, Mr. Pete Smith. Uh, guys, follow me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. I do appreciate it. The Lockdown Browns Twitter account, guys. We always keep that a follow-back account. And like I said, anything you have, even if you you feel weird asking it, send a DM, send a DM to the Lockdown Browns account. I will go ahead and answer it for you. Simple, easy, whatever. I, 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 I make full attention to take care of that. If you guys are going to take the time to sit down, download, and listen to me, I will take the time to you know answer any questions you guys all have. Until we talk the next time, guys, LGB on the LOB. Let's go, Browns.